Over the past century, our relationship with sports has grown exponentially, particularly in the amount of time not spent playing sports, but in watching them as fans. And though the massification of sports can be explained by advancements in radio, TV, and now the internet, how do we explain the why? Why do millions, if not billions of people, tune in? Why is there such a sports creep? It's time to get educated. Welcome to a special episode of Educated, your favorite new podcast featuring easy-to-follow academic discussion. My name is Mario Rochetta, and today, for a special episode, we need a special guest, someone who's going to help to explain some of the reasons behind the sports creep. In other words, why so many people across the globe are tuned in basically 24-7 to sports. Welcome to the show, Dr. Oren Starn, an anthropologist and writer, as well as professor at Duke University in beautiful Durham, North Carolina. Dr. Starn, thank you so much for joining us here on Educated. Thanks, Mario. It's great to be here. Now, in all of your work that you do as an anthropologist, as a writer, in your professorship at, uh, at Duke University, in addition to all of this, you also offer an online course through Coursera called Sports and Society. And as part of this course, you offer insight into sports fandom, uh, you know, reasons why so many of us are watching sports in such high amounts. And this includes some of the pleasures that might be associated with being a fan. So can you tell us a little bit about why it is that in such an entertainment-saturated society, so many of us are so invested in spending our time watching sports? Yeah, well, this is one of the great mysteries of the modern world, because if you think back a century, you had tons of people playing sports, but you didn't have that many sports fans. Not, not that many people went to games. There was no TV. There were, radio was just beginning. So it was more like you had people playing sports, but not so much having the opportunity then to watch them or to follow them as fans. Now it's exactly the opposite. A lot of people play all kinds of different sports and spend a lot of time at it. But if you added up the total hours, more people are sitting on their couch watching sports, streaming sports, you know, whether on whatever the channel, whatever team they're following, Premier League, Indian cricket, you name it. So the question I've been interested in is why, what is it that is leading so many of us to choose to watch sports and spend so much of life's precious time um, doing it. And I think there's a couple things that, that, that are the beginnings of an explanation. One of it is just the coolness of the uncertainty of sports. We never know, you know, we, we watch games because we don't know who's going to win. It might be Barcelona with Messi against some crummy lower division league La Liga team. And Barcelona is going to win, you know, 99 times out of 100. But we watch to see if maybe that those underdog can pull off the upset and, 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 and that idea that anything can happen. Any given Sunday, as the saying used to go with the NFL, 
um, is, is part of the excitement and interest in sports. And I've been noticing now, you know, since we're in the middle of the, of the uh, pandemic and live sports is shut down, that all we get to watch on TV are replays. And let's face it, it's, it's not the same. You know, we know what the score is already. So that, that uncertainty, which is part of the attraction of sports, is shut down right now. But that is the, the uncertainty, how it's going to turn out, part of why we watch. And then I would say just we could talk a little bit more about these, but a couple of other things that I think are at work. One of them is just that sports are, are beautiful. We tend to think of things like dance and sculpture and painting as in the realms of fine art and somehow different than sports. But actually, you know, when you see the performance of a LeBron James or of a, or of a Lionel Messi or of a Tiger Woods, you're witnessing a kind of human beauty in action. And in particular, what the, the ways that sport remind me of dance is that in dance, what you see is dancers stringing together these sets of positions, these ways of moving their body in space that we haven't seen before and that we can't do ourselves. And it's the same way, you know, when you see a great basketball player flying in for a dunk or see Tiger Woods pull off some amazing bendy uh, slice to hit it three feet from the hole, we're seeing a human being do something that we haven't seen done before. And there's a kind of beauty in that because it expands our sense of what human beings are, are, are what is possible for human beings. In the sense also like a, you know, Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel, we knew people could paint, but until we looked up at that ceiling and saw what Michelangelo did, we, we didn't see the kinds of limits of human achievements. So I think there's a kind of beauty in sports that is part of the attraction of sports uh, um, and slow motion has made that beauty all the more possible to appreciate and to see now from 25 different angles at five different speeds. And then a last thing uh, that I would say about sports is that they give us a sense of belonging. You know, we live in a world of devices and we're in our cubicles and um, we're connected, yet sometimes we feel lonely and without exactly a sense of what life's meaning and purpose is all about. Sports gives us a sense, rooting for a team in particular, of belonging to something bigger. We can get together with our friends and root for our favorite hockey team or, or you know, root for our favorite basketball team. And it gives us a sense of community that is something that I think people in the modern world, or at least some people, are, are searching for. So in a way, maybe it's not such a mystery that, that sports is so attractive to people, as uh, to, to viewers, because it does have these different elements of uncertainty, of beauty, of belonging that, that, that are a powerful elixir. Now, that's great. When, when you talk about these you know, explanations for why sports are so, um, they're, they're just something that we so much want to give our time to as fans. I can't help but think about how I've heard you say in some of your lectures, you've referenced Sigmund Freud and his great distinction between Eros and Thanatos with Eros being the beauty and the community and the togetherness and Thanatos being more so that dark side and destruction and anything that's sort of troubling. When we're talking about the uncertainty and the sense of belonging and, um, and even that you know, beauty that's attached with, with sports, we're looking at some of the, the, the pleasurable sides of sports fandom, the Eros side, if you will. So can you maybe talk right now a little bit about the flip side? Is there a Thanatos side or a dark side of being a sports fan? Yeah, Freud had a wonderful sense of the contradictions of human existence. So on the one hand, 
the way that we search out pleasure. And for Freud, this was all about kind of recreating the original oneness and beauty and warmth and connection of the womb and of infancy. And then on the other side of the, the, the coin of human experience, all of the troubles and difficulties of, of failed love, of thwarted desires, of the weirdness of the unconscious. So Freud, and this is why, one of the reasons why I love him as a social theorist, really understands the contradictions and the, the complex push and pull of human experience. And in sports is, you know, is no exception to this. Sports is a human creation. And you do see this beauty, connectedness, joy that's associated with sports. I love sometimes when teams are celebrating uh, or when an athlete has just set a record, you, you just see this undiluted pleasure and sense of realization and fulfillment. But as you say, there's also a dark side of, of all of this. Uh, there's the whole question, you know, I think, for example, in, in terms of fandom, of racism in, in you know, in, in European uh, football of the last few years, especially. So you imagine that people should be going to the stadium to enjoy the game, and instead you have the kind of most disgusting kind of examples of bigotry of throwing bananas at black players and, and, and really society's worst, most destructive and hateful impulses on display there. Then you have issues of violence in some sports. You know, in American football, we have the fact that essentially men are being paid to destroy each other's bodies for our entertainment. I actually thought, and I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, used to be a football addict and I watch way too much sports on TV, but I finally managed to give up watching the NFL because I just couldn't justify to myself um, being a viewer of this thing that's beautiful in its way. I mean, football is an amazing and complex sport that demands great intelligence and strength, but you know, but the, 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 the issues of players committing suicide, of violence, of the game destroying their bodies is, is, is also part of another example of the thanatos um, part of sports. And I would say that like at the biggest level, the kind of ugliness of the, the thanatos part of sports may be the kind of exaggerated dimensions of sports creep. So to me, it's a little bit ugly that, uh, you know, a, a top basketball or baseball player is earning $20 million a year and a nurse or a teacher or a firefighter who's doing these essential jobs for society, in some cases putting their lives on the line, are getting paid you know, $30,000 a year. So I think there's something, you know, sports salaries and salaries are driven by supply and demand and there's TV contracts and money in sports. But I also think there's a kind of ugliness in, in the kind of disproportionate rewards and money that are at stake in sports right now. Is there something also to be said about the idea of like crowd psychology? What happens when we as individuals get into a stadium with 50,000 other fans? Do we behave any differently when we're with the group? Well, there's a lot of interesting work on crowd psychology by sociologists and historians. And I think one thing that you can say is that these dimensions of both eros of joy and oneness and collectivity and of thanatos of, of ugliness and bigotry and violence are both on behavior or on evidence in or evident in, in crowd psychology. So on the one hand, when we go to a game, all of us have had this experience 
we experience this kind of sense of oneness with the other people who are, you know, especially if it's a home game and we're cheering on our home team and this feeling that it doesn't matter if you're a student or a professor or a, you know, a Wall Street billionaire or a janitor, we're all in this together sharing our experience of, of joy and pleasure and, and urging our team on to victory. The other side of this, though, this, this is what Victor Turner, the anthropologist, called communitas, a sort of sense moments in uh, human experience. You could think of a religious service as another example of this, where we feel this kind of common bond and the usual kinds of hierarchies and divisions don't seem to apply. But the other side of this is that crowd psychology often works to, to dumb us down and to lead to a kind of conformity that can sometimes lead us into really nasty behavior that we might not do otherwise. So this um, sociologist in the late 19th century, Gustave Le Bon, argued that, uh, that crowds often bring out this sort of sense of the sort of most, most violent primeval impulses and that we kind of bracket and forget about our morality and individual decision-making. And instead, for example, if it's like a fan riot, we all grab a beer bottle to break over the head of the other fans so that we lose in the crowd our capacity, our, our own kind of um, moral compass. And you certainly see this in some, you know, in, in bad behavior and racist chants. Would, I mean, some of these, many of the people are chanting, okay, they may be bigoted and whatever, but would they actually be doing some of the stuff that they were doing if others weren't doing it? So this is kind of the Thanatos side of, um, of fandom that we, 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 we see quite a bit as well. Certainly lots going on there with the good, the bad, and the ugly of sports fandom. Thank you so much for sharing those insights. Before we wrap things up, I'd like to take a moment to maybe venture off a little bit in a, in a sort of a different direction. I want to talk right now with you about one of the books that you've written in the realm of sports called The Passion of Tiger Woods, which is basically an anthropologist's perspective on the whole Tiger Gate scandal of 2009. And I know that a lot of our listeners, if they haven't already checked the book out, they would be really interested in doing so. So could you right now just maybe provide us with a little overview about what people could expect from your Passion of Tiger Woods book? Yeah, I, 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 I wrote a book about Tiger Woods that was because I love Tiger Woods and I've always been enchanted by his and fascinated by his um, genius with a golf club. I play golf myself and also with his role as a kind of cultural icon in, in global society. And so as your listeners may or may not remember, there was this big scandal almost 10 years ago now that involved Tiger cheating on his wife and some other very bad behavior in his personal life. And I'm, uh, one of the things that interested me in all of that was how Tiger, um, before the scandal, was viewed as this kind of universal icon that, that, that was really uh, sort of somebody that everybody could admire and embrace. But what you saw after the scandal, especially out of in internet chat rooms and on the kind of Reddit and so forth, was the activation of all these uh, racist, bigoted kinds of stereotypes, all the worst kinds of racially coded words getting thrown at Tiger in post to condemn him for his behavior. And it was almost as if Tiger became black all over again. 
that before the scandal, he'd become this sort of universal god above the mess and ugliness of racial division. And then in the scan during the scandal, he was sort of drawn back into the muck of American racial labeling and bigotry and Americans or white Americans or some white Americans deciding that after all, you know, he was black and these kinds of stereotypes and, and misperceptions that people have had around, around African-American masculinity. The interesting thing though now is that, you know, Tiger has been resurrected and a lot of the old, uh, in a way, he's a god once again. He's, he's a human god now. He's balding and he's old and he has health problems and he's sinned and suffered as all of us of a certain age have. But, uh, but he's also a god with the golf club and with the things that he can do. So I, Tiger, is, Tiger never ceases to surprise, both in the shots that he hits on the golf course and on the role that he has um, off of the course as a kind of mythical figure in the pantheon of American celebrity. Well, we've certainly learned so much today uh, from you about sort of the reasons behind the sports creep, specifically reasons that help to explain some of the more beautiful aspects of sports fandom, as well as the darker side of being a fan. To all of our listeners, please make sure you check out Dr. Oren Starn. He's got a web presence, his official website, www.orenstarn.com. And of course, head over to the website of your favorite bookstore. Search up The Passion of Tiger Woods to get yourself a copy. And once again, if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Starn about sports and society, you can log on to his course, which is found on Coursera.org. And it's available for you to start right now, free of charge. So take advantage of this opportunity and learn for yourself what so many thousands of other students have learned. Otherwise, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show, Oren. Thank you so much for taking the time to join Educated today. And we're certainly looking forward, if you're down, to having you on the show in a future episode. Thanks, Mario. I really enjoyed being with you. Until then, we'll see everyone next time on Educated. Thank you.